time when we weren't meeting as far as our family and watching different services and I'm just recording a sermon on you know to to give out but it's it's so much better to be here and seeing everybody and being together so I'm I'm really thankful to be back and uh, to be to be back together <clears throat> you know in the last few weeks We've been looking at some Bible passages that can be very helpful and very encouraging in times like the, the times that we're in now. You know, we look out and we see rioting and destruction and anarchy and disease and cancellations, lack of income, people losing their jobs, and a lot of disagreement over just what should be done. You know, one thing we saw as we've been into these different parts of the, of the scriptures, we saw the Bible's formula for finding real freedom. And you know, we all want to be free, don't we? We want true freedom. And Jesus said, if we follow his teachings, then we will become his true disciples. And if we become his disciples, we will discover the truth, and that truth will set us free. So following Jesus' teachings leads to freedom, true inner freedom. And then we also saw that the way we can overcome fear was by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, you know, for salvation and for our lives. Because we saw that Christ has the power to overcome any problem, no matter what it is, he can instantly overcome it. He calmed the winds and the waves. <clears throat> Excuse me. So he has that power over nature. He drove out thousands of demons. You know, it, it, he said it was, his name was Legion because he had that many demons. Well, a legion in the Roman army was 3,000 to 6,000 soldiers, one legion. So I don't know how literal that number meant, but I know it was probably multi-thousands of demons in that man or those two men. Uh, they had absolutely no power against Jesus. They came running frantically, begging him not to send them to their final place of torture. And then when he said go, boom, they shot out. They had to go. They couldn't question him. He's just that much more powerful. And then when they let a man down through the roof, he told that man that his sins were forgiven. Who can forgive sins? Of course, that's what his critics said there. Who can forgive sins but God? And Jesus said, well, just to show you that I have the authority on earth to forgive sins, I'm going to tell him to get up and walk, which he did immediately. And so Jesus has the power. That's better than the wind and the waves and better than driving out demons. He has the power to forgive our sins and make us ready for heaven make us eligible for heaven. So Christ exhibited the greatest power of all <clears throat> in all ways. Now this morning we're going to look at a situation that I believe could strike fear in anyone's heart. It's in the Gospel of John, and it's Jesus telling his disciples on that last night, the night that he took them to the Garden of Gethsemane, 
He's telling his disciples that he's going to give the ministry. He's ready to turn the ministry over to them. And I can just see those disciples gulp. Jesus, are you serious? I mean, do you really expect us to take your place? All the things that they went through, Jesus, all the power that he had, all the wisdom that he used to, to talk to his, the people trying to cut him down, to trying to stop him. And all this, of course, is before the re uh, death and resurrection of Jesus, before the Spirit came. <clears throat> but we're in that lengthy section of the Gospel of John, that night that he takes them out to the garden, and where they met in a secret place to celebrate the last Passover that Jesus would celebrate before his death. And then later that night, of course, you know, so many things happened in that evening in that, that upper room. And later that night, he would take them out to the garden. He would be accosted by a mob carrying swords and clubs. And then he would face several trials through the night. And then they would condemn him to die. <clears throat> so in John 14, Jesus is taking... He's talking to his disciples about them taking over the ministry. He's handing the ministry over to them. And he is going to return to his father. So let's read from John 14 and verses 15 through 24. He says, If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. That's a person to come and help. It, it, was, a legal, it was just a legal term, helping legal problems, but it, it broadened its meaning to someone who could come and help people in trouble. He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. <clears throat> now, Jesus is telling them, really basically what he's telling them, he's telling them to follow his teachings to keep to what he's been teaching them. But he's basically telling them, as we go through the passage, if you love me, you will accept this assignment that I'm giving you. You will go forward from here and carry on the ministry that I chose you for and that I spent three years preparing you for. And he's telling them to keep to his teachings, to keep to his commands, his training has taken them through everything that he's taught them. And he's saying, if you love me, 
you will agree to this. You will agree to, and you know they're scared. You know they can't imagine themselves doing it. But he's saying, if you love me, you will do this. And then he says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, advocate, to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Now, <clears throat> then it goes on to say he will never leave you. I want to see that. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, you can imagine that the disciples at this point are not really ready to strap on their weapons and boldly take on Satan's forces. I mean, you can imagine that. They're kind of probably like, what? Jesus, what are you talking about? I always thought, you know, when you have Jesus working with the disciples, they don't seem to make a lot of progress while he's with them. And, you know, he, he took this, this group that was just like, they were nowhere near that where you would take and put into a, a battle. And they're with him for three years, and at the end, they're still asking these basic questions. And so here's Jesus handing it over to them, this major assignment. But what they don't realize yet at this point, the disciples, is all the help that Jesus is offering them. You know, later, of course, in the book of Acts, they will become bold heroes of the faith. Nothing will scare them away. And it's going to happen because of what he's telling them here. You know, he's telling them, I will ask the Father, he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Even though the world cannot see him, you know him. He lives with you. He will be in you. See, all that is going to give them the power to do all that he's saying, but they can't feel that yet. They don't know that. He's telling them he's going to send them another advocate. He's talking about, of course, God the Holy Spirit, which will be a fatherly guide. You know, a father is supposed to guide their children and help them through life. And it's going to be divine help from above. God himself will be with them as a group, and it will, he will be in them individually to help them. I mean, Jesus couldn't have given them any better promise or anyone stronger or better to come and help them. God himself will be with them as a group and in them individually. They will have the best help there could ever be. And then when he says, I will not leave you as orphans, that would mean fatherless, he's talking about the Holy Spirit being a fatherly guide. And then when he says, I will come to you, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you, he is saying, the Holy Spirit is coming to you. And he will be there constantly. But you see, all of this, and we can take note of this, all of this is what he's saying is beyond their understanding. It's going to be absolutely real. It's going to be strengthening, empowering, encouraging, make them bold. But at this point, they don't know any of that, do they? They can't feel it. 
So here's something else that I, I'm sure they don't fully understand or appreciate yet. And I believe it's even difficult for us to understand, even though we're way beyond their time. And when it comes to this point, uh, non-Christians can't even fathom it. But look again at verse 19. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Now, this verse, when he talks about the world not seeing him anymore, but the disciples will, and because he lives, they will live, that becomes a truism in the resurrection of Christ from the dead, literally. Because, you know, after the resurrection, basically it's his, his followers that see him, not really the world. But I believe it goes further than the literal, physical, because of verses 20 and 21. I believe he's saying something deeper. Because he goes on and he says, On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. He's saying that as the Holy Spirit comes and indwells them and helps them, he's also going to give them further understanding into who God is and the spiritual oneness between the Father and the Son. And you know, how can we explain that to people? How can you explain the Trinity to people? You know, three persons and one God. You know, it's just not within our vocabulary. We try to explain it, but what happens is Jesus says the Holy Spirit will come and he will indwell you and you will begin to understand how I am in the Father and the Father is in me and you are in me. They will begin to understand the oneness or unity between Christ and his followers. And that comes from the indwelling Holy Spirit. And then in verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them, and when he he says that a few times in here, and what he's saying is, whoever follows my way, whoever lives according to the way that I'm teaching, uh, he is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father also, and I too will love them and show myself to them. You see, the whole context here is he's sending the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to empower them, equip them, help them, uh, give them understanding. And as the Holy Spirit comes, he says, you're going to understand better how I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, and you are in us. So the Spirit... The indwelling spirit brings eternal life to the Christian because the spirit is the presence of Christ and brings the life of God into the Christian. The spirit brings the wisdom of God to the believer. But we have to take that step of faith to step into the promises of God. I believe that as the early disciples firmly placed their faith in Christ, 
as the Son of God and as the Savior of the world, and as the Spirit fell upon them on that day of Pentecost and indwelt them, and they took brave steps of faith and, and stepped into their faith, obeying Christ, reading the scriptures. You know, the book of Acts, it says they daily read the scriptures and gathered together for fellowship and breaking of bread. I believe that because they were acting upon their faith that the Holy Spirit was giving them closer, deeper, better insights into the unity of Christ and the Father and the Spirit and also their oneness with Christ and the Father. And in that way, Christ is showing himself to the disciples. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. So what we're talking about, really, is that God, to his disciples, sent the Holy Spirit, the Father sent the Spirit, he was a guide, he was a fatherly figure, in a sense, inside of them, bringing the life of Christ, the resurrection life of Christ to them. And then also, as we step into that faith, we're in the scriptures, we're in fellowship, the things that, you know, following his commands, living for him, the result, one result is greater understanding, greater faith, and greater results in our Christian lives. Is this what we are doing in our Christian faith? You know, it's so easy in our comfortable, prosperous society to start taking our faith for granted, isn't it? I mean, in places where they have to fight for their lives, they don't take their faith for granted, do they? But that's what we have to be on guard against, just because of our, our current situations, our our circumstances, our prosperous society. You know, a faith that doesn't dig deeper and deeper into the knowledge of God, a faith that doesn't practice what it preaches, it doesn't get the full benefit of the power of the Spirit. And so Jesus is telling them, obey my commands. He's telling them, live into your faith. Live like I'm telling you to live. Do the things I'm telling you to do as a follower of me. It's all from the Holy Spirit. Now I want to show you what a question that one of the disciples had at this point. He was confused. This was Judas, not Judas Iscariot. And he said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? <clears throat> now he's he might be thinking of Jesus return and when Jesus return when he returns everybody will see it and so Judas may be thinking hey you know if you're coming back to us how come the world won't see it but Jesus really isn't talking about that yet look at verses 23 through 24 this is still spirit, talking about the spirit. 
Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. <clears throat> now, you know, in the end, in the book of Revelation, God and the Son, they come down and they set their, their thrones in the city of Jerusalem. And it says, now, you know, God is living with men. But this, he's living with men, but in a different way. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. And those, <clears throat> that was spoken directly to the apostles, right? And they would be writing the scripture. Some of them would be writing the scripture. So I think in a most direct sense, the Holy Spirit was really giving them extra knowledge. But the Holy Spirit is here for us too. In response to the disciples' love and obedience, Jesus says the Father and Son will come and make their home with them. And of course, that's the Holy Spirit. Through the Spirit of God, we have today the presence of God in our lives, which later will be the physical presence of the Father and the Son in our lives, in the kingdom. But today we have that with the Holy Spirit. The guidance of God, the access to the wisdom of God. Now in our last three verses, I want to show you the glorious result of being willing to live into our faith. Because remember, this whole thing is about Jesus challenging his disciples to take on his ministry as he returns to the Father. He's promising them the Holy Spirit in order to have the presence of God guiding, empowering, and increasing their understanding of their oneness with God. But look what will be the result of trusting God and stepping into the faith that he has provided for us. Let's see. Okay, verse... I'll start here. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I live with you. I, sorry. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So, when we take God at his word, remember the disciples, as they were listening to this, they had no concept of this. You know, they didn't really understand the Holy Spirit. I mean, we have trouble understanding the Holy Spirit. But what he's saying is, when we step out in faith, according to his promises, and we take up the challenge and live into our faith, you know, depending upon our circumstances, you know, different 
Christians will have to live differently into their faith according to their outward circumstances. But he's saying, we can have the peace of Christ as we walk through the places that God is leading us. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. What is the world's peace that he's not giving us? Well, the world's peace, we could go on and on, but the world's peace comes through gaining power or influence. The world's peace is gaining the world's approval. You have to say all the right words at just the right time, and if you said something back in high school that isn't right now, you're sunk. Or the world's peace is that comfortable retirement package, which isn't wrong, of course. But that isn't really God's peace. Or the world's peace is knowing the right people or living in the right neighborhood or using the right terminology. But you see, working to keep the world's approval doesn't bring peace. It's just a a bad game that you have to get into if you want to keep the world's approval. Because everything could change overnight and all of a sudden you're, you're just out. It actually brings anxiety trying to keep up with the world's peace. One wrong answer could could make you fall out of favor. It's much better to go for God's peace. A peace that comes from living into our faith. A peace that comes from the Holy Spirit indwelling us and us learning more about God through him, going deeper in our knowledge of God through the scriptures and through prayer and through fellowship with fellow believers, through serving others. God's peace in troubled times. God's peace in times of loss. God's peace in times of sadness or disappointment. God's peace in times of chaos or upheaval. Times when things are totally out of our control. To have God's peace. Times when people turn against us. To have God's peace. And so, where will all of these current crises take us? I mean, will we ever come out of the coronavirus pandemic? What decisions will they make two weeks from now? Will the economy ever recover? Will schools start up in the fall? Will people get their jobs back? Will we become a socialist nation? Will the right person win the presidential election? God's peace can take us through any trouble. The disciples faced very rough times. Beatings, imprisonment, 
shipwrecks, false accusations, famine. But they had God's peace carrying through them all. And you know, in the book of Acts, when they were beaten for not, for, you know, spreading the name of Jesus, said they rejoiced in the fact that they could suffer for the name, that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. So I believe this is what led the apostles to experience, to be able to experience God's peace in very troubled times. I believe, first and foremost, they grew to love Jesus personally. You know, I, I think <clears throat> as the apostles met Jesus, they were like, who is this guy? Then as they spent time with him, they got to know him, they grew to love him. And then as they grew to love him, they grew to trust him. And as they went out and ministered for him, not only did they trust him, but they loved him. And you know, for them to sin was hurting their friend, their close friend. And I think through the Holy Spirit, we can become close friends with Christ. And then for them, it was, it was an honor to suffer for the name. And then the apostles, you know, by faith, they stepped into and lived into their faith. And they loved it. And they took bold steps. And they stayed in the scriptures. And they stayed in prayer. And they gained understanding into the, the person of God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ. And they gained understanding into their oneness. And all of that, the result is peace. If we know God on an intimate level, it brings peace. No matter the circumstances. Because our God is with us. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all that you've given us in your word. We thank you for all that we know you've done throughout history, showing your love to us. We know there are some, some things that are hard to understand, but we thank you that it is by faith that we make progress in our Christian lives. Help us to live into our faith. Help us to trust you. Help us to learn to love you. And help us to rejoice in the things that you do. And, Lord, that we can name your name. We thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.